I don't know if you believe this statement or not, but God is in the business of healing all the effects of sin in our world. God is in the business of restoring all things to himself. That is the work that he has set about from the beginning of time. He is restoring all things into himself. And the church, globally, yet expressed locally, has been given the calling, the identity, and the authority to bring about God's rule and transformation into the world. The church is God's plan A for bringing restoration and reconciliation into the world and bringing his kingdom. And I think in the midst of our busy lives and the seeming normality of church, maybe even the word boring at times, whatever, it's easy to lose sight of who we are as the people of God. It's easy to forget just how revolutionary the church is called to become. And I believe in this room that the majority of us live with a desire to see something more of God's kingdom in the places that we live and work and breathe and in our town and in the nations of the world. I believe that is in our hearts. Somewhere in each one of us is a desire that there must be more, that there's something greater, that there's something more of the kingdom of God that we have yet to see. But the reality is sometimes we get distracted and we get weary. Maybe we get skeptical. Maybe we get lethargic or we get bruised or wounded or we just get really busy and we just forget and we lose sight of the wonder and the splendor of the church. And in this series and in the season that we're in as a church, the call is this. Let's be captivated and stirred again by the people of God and by who we are and by what the church has called to become and what the church could in all of her splendor become as an agent of change and transformation into the world. And we've been looking at that through these last few weeks, and we're going to carry on for another few weeks. And today, what I want to talk about is what it means to be a holy people, a people who are set apart for God's purposes in the world. And to get us thinking about this, I just want to start with a small vision illustration, which is going to be interesting holding a handheld, but we'll see how we go. Okay, Joel, I might need your help again. Come up here, Joel. Can we be my trusted assistant? No, I'm not going to pour him over water. Right. What I want to do in this illustration is help us to think about there are three different ways that we as a church can see our part in society. There's three different ways that we can understand the church's role into society. And the first is this. Can you pour that into there? The first is a bit like oil and water. Now, most of you know that oil and water don't really mix. So the one way we can look and understand our role in society is to keep ourselves slightly away from the world, to draw clear boundaries, to keep ourselves slightly distinct and different, to isolate from the world. The narrative is this. God is good. The world is bad. So we best keep away from it. And that is actually a way that some Christians have chosen to live. And my parents in the 1990s were discouraged from having, from having non-Christian friends in the church. That was a, it was a movement at the time. Stay away. The world is bad. Don't go near it. And so what happens is we stand on the sidelines, but we never really truly get involved. We judge, and we've got to say, um, you know, let's not get too involved because we might become unclean or impure. But what happens when we operate like this as a church 
or as people of God is it robs us of our missional zeal and our urgency to spread the good news of Jesus Christ into the world. We keep separate, we keep away from. That's the first way we can be. The second way, I can probably do this myself, this one, is like water and water. We basically seek to blend in. For fear of being mocked or for fear of standing up, for not wanting to count, for just whatever reason, we basically seek to blend in. We end up just adopting the values of the world. We end up living exactly the same lives as the world. Our rhythms and our patterns and our, and our habits and the way we operate and the way we think and the way we function is just like the way of the world. And we allow the world to form us and to shape us. But when we do that, we lose our witness, we lose our power, we lose our message, and we lose our distinctiveness. But there's a third way, which I think is the way of Jesus. We have that in there, is that all right? No, because Ella will be upset if you put the whole lot in. She said, I have to return some home. The third way is a bit more like this, like food coloring and water, where we immerse ourselves in the world and where we infuse the world with God's love and God's hope and God's forgiveness and God's restoration. We don't lose our distinctiveness. We don't lose our identity. We don't drown in the world, but neither do we isolate or neither do we blend in, but empowered by the presence and the love of God, we go and we infuse the world and we immerse ourselves in the world and we bring God's love and healing and transformation into society around us. This, friends, it's not quite, this is not the way of Jesus, obviously. This represents a way of being that I believe that the church is called to be. But how do we do that? What does it look like for us to do that? Thank you so much, Joel. We'll come back to this. No, we'll, that's fine. And what I want to do this morning I want to keep this in mind. We're going to come back to this illustration, which I hope will help as we go through the morning. I want to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. You can look at it in your Bibles, or it's going to come up on the screen. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, the church, you and me and us and the worldwide body of Christ are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We're going we're to land and talk today about one very simple phrase in this passage, what it means to be a holy nation. Now, nation in this context does not mean a country. It does not mean United Kingdom or Ghana or Kenya or India. It means a people group. 
So when Peter is writing to the church here, he means the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know, but when you hear the word holy, the majority of us probably think of moral conduct, doing the right thing, being a good person, not sinning. But actually in scripture, to be holy is far richer and it's far bigger and far more profound, has far more profound implications for our lives than just how it affects our moral conduct. Sure, being a holy people is not, includes, our, sorry, includes our moral conduct. Being a holy people includes how we live and whether we sin and the patterns of life we live. But actually, the word holy in Greek comes from, is a word called hagios, which means to be set apart. It means to be distinct. It means to be different. Another way it can be translated is, is, is in the likeness of Jesus and not in the likeness of the world. In the likeness of Jesus and not in the likeness of the world. So to be a holy people means that we are invited and called and commissioned to live a totally distinct and different way of life from the culture around us. The church is called to be a counterculture into society, a new and alternative society that has the values of Jesus as our guide and as our marker for our lives. Amen? It is called to shape every area of life. Being a holy people means that everything about how we live, everything about what we value, everything about what we pursue, every aspect of our lives is distinct and different from the society and the world around us. Not called to blend in. Not called to keep ourselves separated from, but to be very different and to immerse ourselves into the world as we're going to see. It's called to affect, to be holy means every area of life gets shaped by Jesus. Every area of life gets to be distinct and different. We're a counterculture. The church is called to be a countercultural movement that shines what Jesus is like and models what Jesus is like into the world around us. That is how we're to see what it means to be a holy people, a countercultural movement which is radically different and radically distinct and utterly opposite to the way of the world that people would look on and go, who is this Jesus that you guys are talking about? Because your lives look totally and utterly different. What does this look like? What does it mean to look differently? Well, 1 Peter 2 is a mirror image of an earlier passage in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 19. And we're just going to very briefly look at that. In Exodus 19... God has rescued his people, Israel, out of Egypt, out of slavery. They've crossed over the Red Sea, and God commissions them as his people. And he uses these words, which you're going to see are very similar to what we've seen in 1 Peter. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. You hear that word possession again? Among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, same language that Peter uses, and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And what happens after Exodus chapter 19 is that God sets out for his people a whole load of details and instructions about how they're to live as a holy nation. Now I know, and you know if you know your Bible story, that we are not Israel. And we are not bound by the Old Testament law. But there is something really helpful about the pattern and the way of living that God called the Israelites to live that I think actually should help us understand what it looks like and what it means to be a holy nation. If you read the rest of Exodus chapter 20 to chapter 40 and into Leviticus, 
you know, fair play if you get that far, and you keep going through Leviticus in your Bible in a year. But you will see that when God says what it means to be a holy nation, this is some of the ways that he is calling them to live. He marks them with his presence. Exodus chapter 20. He calls them to be a people of, who worship God and God alone, who sacrifice their lives and who they are before him. He says that justice and mercy for the vulnerable and the poor are at the very heartbeat of what it looks like to be a holy nation. In fact, in Exodus chapter 21 to 23, almost half of the laws that God tells his people are about justice and mercy. That should tell you something about the kind of people that God wants us to be, a people of justice and mercy. He calls them to be radically generous. He makes restoration of people and property and, and business a central theme to his way of being. He calls them to conduct themselves in business and in work with integrity and to shine a spotlight into the way of the world. He invites them to rest in him and to find deep rest and deep joy into him. He calls them to be a people who love God and love one another. That's basically the Ten Commandments. And he tells them to be consecrated that is pure and holy before him. You see, the call in Exodus wasn't a call just to come out of slavery and to carry on their own way of life. They were, they were brought out of slavery. They were commissioned as a holy nation. And, and God says to them, it's to affect every area of your life, from your worship to your working. Every part of life is called to be a distinct people. That's what it means to be a holy nation. And I believe when Peter is writing to the early church, they've got echoes of Exodus 19 in their minds. There's an echo happening right through. And so when they're, when they're reading it out, when they're reading this letter from Peter, they're thinking, to be a holy nation means we're called to be distinct. We're called to be different. We're called to be set apart. We're called to live radically different ways of living from every aspect and area of our life is called to be different for God. And Peter goes on to expand. He says, the church is a holy nation. Why? To proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Being a holy nation, being a people who are set apart and distinct and different from the way of the world is fundamentally a missional and kingdom-minded posture. We are called to proclaim with our mouths and live out with our lives the message of God that he is the one who brings people out of darkness and into light. And we are called to go into the world as a holy, distinct, set-apart people to be witnesses of the kingdom of God, to point people to the Savior who is Jesus Christ, to bring healing to people, relationships, nations, communities, and to seek mercy and justice for the vulnerable and the hurting and the broken and the lost. We don't go from this place as those who blend in. We don't go from this place like that. We don't go from this place and live our lives where we just keep a, we keep a distance, where we keep ourselves separate from the way of the world. We go and we say, God, my heart is to live radically different that I may infuse my world with your goodness, that I may immerse myself in the culture and the places that you have put me to, that I may display what you are like in how I live, in how I talk to those around me, that, that the way of Jesus might be infused into the world around me. 
the church. And when we say the church, sometimes we can go, the organization of the church. We, let's say that we, you and me, live as a distinct culture in our world, in our relationships, in our worship, in how we care for the vulnerable, with our money, with how we love, with how we work, with our business dealings, with our moral conduct, with our family and with our friends, and how we fight for justice in an unjust and broken world. And when you read the story of the early church, what I believe you get hold of is I think they understood what it looked like to live as a holy nation. I think when you read through Acts, I think that what you see is a people that say, we are not going to live the way of the Roman world. Remember that the church grew up in a hostile culture. The Roman world was not kind of, oh, cool, good. No, no, the Roman world was hostile to the way of Jesus. And they grew up in this context, and they live radically distinct and different lives, utterly devoted to the way of Jesus, living as a counterculture in that society. And in fact, they started to shape the culture around them because of how they were and how they lived. Now, there's plenty that the early church got wrong, and it was very messy. Let's not kind of over-glamorize it and say it was a perfect world. No, the church was very messy in the first century. But as I read this week, which I love this quote, I think this is true for us. The early church figured out a way of living that didn't accommodate to culture or isolate from culture, but immerse themselves into culture without drowning. They figured out a way that didn't accommodate to culture, that didn't isolate from culture, but they immersed themselves into culture without drowning. And the effect of the early church was to see people get saved, the poor cared for, and the kingdom of heaven breaking out in their world by learning what it looked like to live and immerse themselves in culture, but to live distinctly and differently, and they didn't drown in the culture that they were in. And I don't know about you, but it's fairly obvious to me that we are living in a society that has a very different set of principles and values to the way of Jesus. I don't know if you've noticed that, if you've ever thought about it, but our culture in the Western world is not neutral to the gospel, nor is it pulling us towards Jesus. Our culture, our way of life in our society is forming and shaping us away from the things of God. It's forming us away from the way of Jesus. You see, our culture around us has a vision of the good life. What does the good life look like? Well, in our culture, it looks like this. Be true to yourself. Do what makes you feel good. Collect and consume. Live for the moment. Seek comfort. Be successful, and so on, and so on. And you know what? The vision of the good life that we live in is not always spoken. It's very powerful. It's very powerful. And it's very tempting to swim in that direction. But as followers of Jesus... We are a holy nation. Our identity is a holy nation where we are called to swim upstream and live an alternative way of life that points to Jesus Christ and his kingdom. It's not easy. It is difficult. But we are citizens of a different kingdom with a calling, an identity, and an authority to live as a holy nation, a royal priesthood people of his own possession. 
that goes into the world and doesn't blend in, nor does it keep itself distinct from, but immerses ourselves in the world and seeks to bring God love and restoration and goodness. And I just wonder that in my life, and maybe in your life, how much do we really blend in with the culture around us, in our values, in how we operate? And in doing so, we end up losing the distinctiveness that we've been called to live out. We lose something of our message and our power and our witness because we actually blend in more than we care to realize rather than see ourselves as those who are holy and have been commissioned into society to go and infuse and immerse ourselves into there without drowning. That is our commission. That is our calling. That is who we are. And what this town needs and what your neighbours need and what your friends and your family members need and what your work colleagues need and what the lost in this town need and what the vulnerable in this town need, what the broken and the hurting and the confused and the poor need is a church that rises up and rediscovers its identity as a holy nation. That it rediscovers who we are as his people, as a holy, holy, holy people set apart for the purposes of God and to see his kingdom in our lives with one another and into the world that we live. Let me just give a few examples of how the culture around us is shaped versus the way of Jesus. Into a culture of isolation and individualism, we live in family and community. That's what it means to be a holy nation. Into a culture of hostility and injustice towards immigrants, we welcome people with open arms and open hearts. Into a culture of racism, we get to display reconciled relationship and unity in the people of God. Into a culture where the rich get richer, we say we prioritize the poor and the marginalized. Into a culture where you find your own truth, we stand firm and we say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Into a culture of consumerism, we radically give away what we have, because it's not ours anyway. It's all from God. And we radically give it away and we say, we're sowing it into your kingdom, Jesus. We're sowing it into your kingdom. We're not trying to, we're not trying to collect. We're not trying to gather. We're trying to be generous because that's the kingdom of God. In a culture that says, be true to yourself, we are faithful to Jesus. In a culture that lives for the moment, we are building for eternity. We have an eternal home. Phil said that this morning. We are building for a different kingdom. We are building for eternity and into a culture of comfort. We get to live lives of selfless service towards others. Do you see how we get to be distinct? Do you see how we get to be set apart? And I believe there's a prophetic call to the church today. I really feel stirred this week as I've been thinking about it. There's a prophetic call into the church today for us to stand again as a counterculture for us to reclaim and to rediscover our identity and our calling and our authority. And as we do that, I believe the words of Martin Lloyd-Jones will become true for us, where he says this, the glory of the gospel is that when the church is absolutely different from the world, 
she invariably attracts it. The more distinct, i.e. the more distinct and differently that we live to the world around us, actually people are drawn to the gospel. Not everyone, because the Bible makes it very clear, to some with a stench of death, but to others as we live differently with a perfume of life, with a beautiful fragrance of Christ, and people will be drawn to a, to a family and to a people that say, my way is not the way of the world, but the way of Jesus. I'm standing firm. We are standing firm as a counter culture. And if all of that sounds too difficult, slightly overwhelming, slightly out of reach, slightly cool, sounds nice, but how? Let me land with something very simple, and then we're going to pray together. The way that we get to work out being a holy nation and a holy people, you'll be pleased to know, is not on our own. Praise the Lord. On my own, I'm not going to do a very good job of being a holy person. Let me tell you that. God calls us into local church communities, into families, where we get to express this global church mission of being a holy nation with one another. That we gateway are like a mini holy nation, and so is the church down the road, and so is the other church down the road, and so is the church in India, and the church in Nepal, and the church in Ghana, and the church in Kenya, and the church in South Africa, and collectively, we get to display the fullness of what it means to be a holy nation, but we get to work it out with one another. And the way that we do that is with a deep commitment and a deep love and a deep sense of I belong to you and you belong to me and we belong to each other. That actually we need each other to stir each other on towards living as a counterculture. Because on my own, I'm probably going to drift towards this way of operating. I am far more likely on my own to blend in to not be too Christian, to not be too zealous, for fear of looking like an idiot, for fear of being mocked, what I need is only brothers and sisters alongside me who say, go on now, go immerse yourself in your street. Go and pray for the sick. Go and live differently. Hey, hey, what's, what areas of life are you struggling with right now? I need one another that we collectively would go in and infuse and immerse ourselves into the world. And that is why we're inviting you to belong. That is why we're inviting you to simply sit around a table for two sessions together, either in October or the future dates that we just sent out in an email this week, to come and say, let's be committed to one another in a whole new way. Let's belong to one another in a whole new way that we get to figure out what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus in our day, to be a people that belong to one another, and to be a people that infuse the world with God's goodness and God's hope. So as you've got the communication, as you've been hearing us talk about belonging, if you're thinking, why bother? Because we need each other to go and live like this. And we actually need to sit around a table and we need to call one another into this way of being. And so if you've got it and you've got to go, yeah, maybe later, maybe another time, our invitation, our encouragement, the call of God is come and belong in this family. Come and be committed here in a whole new way. Maybe you're on the fringe and you think, I'm not even sure I'm going to come back next week. Come in. Come in further. Maybe you're new. It's your first Sunday. Come in. Come be part of a family. Maybe you've been here 25 years. You just think, this is just it. This is the way it works. No, no, come in. Come and be committed. We'll be at the next step, point at the end. I'd love to talk to you. Any of us would love to talk to you about belong. Because we genuinely believe this is a moment where we are calling us together to say, come in. Come in. And let's work out what it looks like to live as a counterculture together. Because, boy, can't we do it alone. Because the message of culture and the narrative of culture is a powerful narrative. We need one another to say, come live differently. Come live as a holy nation. Let's see what Jesus wants to do with us 
Let's see what God wants to do in this town. You know that great story in, in the Old Testament when Jonathan and his armor bearer and say, come on, let's go over the hill and see what God wants to do. This is a community where we are allowed and encouraged to dream about what God might do and to say to another brother or sister to say, come on, come with me. Who knows what God might do in my street? Who knows what God might do in my neighborhood? Who knows what God might do in my workplace as we seek to pray together? Who knows what God might do in my family as I get together with others and say, look, my family are far from Jesus. Can we just pray together once a week? Come on, let's, let us see what God will do. I believe this is a moment to dream and imagine together. But we need each other and we need to be committed. We can't just gather on a Sunday, go home again, maybe do small group once a week, and then come and go away again. No, no, we need to be immersed in one another's lives that we would go and be those who infuse God's goodness into the world. And that is the invitation of belong. And finally, I just want to really allow the Holy Spirit to come and do some work in us. Um, I don't know, John, if you're happy to come and play in a minute. Is that okay? Um, and in a minute, I just want to invite each one of us to stand if we're able to. And I just want to kind of invite us into, I guess, like a holy moment before God. There's, I don't know how many people in this room, 150, 200 or so, maybe, I don't know. Someone did a count earlier. And I don't know everything about your world. I know some things about some of your worlds. I don't know the challenges that you face. I probably don't know necessarily where you're going to go tomorrow morning or what this afternoon looks like or what it means for you personally to live distinctly in your sphere of influence this afternoon, tomorrow morning, Tuesday afternoon, Thursday morning, next weekend. I don't necessarily know. But let me tell you, there is someone who does. God. The Holy Spirit knows. And the Holy Spirit cares. The Holy Spirit cares about your world. And actually, what we're going to do is we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and commission us once again into our spheres of influence, into our places of working and living out life. And the way we're going to do this is I simply want to invite us to pray a really simple prayer that I just felt like God put on my heart as, we were, as I was preparing for this. And then what we're going to do is John's just going to play and we're just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. Because I believe what God wants to do in this moment is he wants to speak to you directly. It's great to preach the word of God. We believe in that. But it's also great that we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us personally. For you. You. In your sphere. In your place of work. In your place of influence. And to say, Holy Spirit. And what, and what I believe is that the Holy Spirit just wants to come and speak to us directly and saying, for you, it's going to look like this tomorrow morning. For you, it's going to look like this tomorrow afternoon. For you today, in your family context, it's going to look like this, to live distinctly and differently. So I just want to invite you, if you're able and comfortable, to stand. Happy just to play, John. Not working. Oh, it is. And we're just going to pray this prayer together. Slowly and deliberately. And with faith. And the reason I've written it in the we, by the way, is because, yes, it applies to me individually, but we're actually praying this over one another. Okay? As we say these words, we're actually praying it over the people that are in this place together. We're praying it for me. This will be true for me. I'm praying it for you, Callum. And I'm praying it for you, Sam. 
And I'm praying it for you, Farah. And I'm praying it for you, Rodney. And I'm praying it for you, Diraj. And for you, Clive and Kaz. And you're praying it over others. Okay? Let's say this prayer together with faith. Father, we invite you into our lives again. Thank you that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. In the places you have sent us Monday to Sunday, help us not to blend in, but to immerse ourselves without drowning. Send us as ministers of reconciliation to proclaim your love and hope with our whole lives and our words. May we stand firm in a world that draws us away from you. May we live as a counterculture that points people to Jesus and brings restoration to individuals, communities, and nations. May we love and honor those who are vulnerable, hurting, broken, and lost. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to equip and encourage us to help us where we are weak, that you would be glorified, that your kingdom would come. Amen. Let's just stand in the presence of God, or kneel, or sit, or lie, with your eyes open or your eyes closed, your arms out, or whatever, whatever works. And I simply want to invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and speak to each one in this room right now.